Welcome in, everybody, to episode 205 of the podcast that is Sweeping America, the Aerotora Sports Podcast. Really uh, fun show today, I think, guys. Basically, here's going to be kind of the quick rundown of what we do. I'm going to open with just some kind of big-picture college football thoughts from the weekend. The bottom line is I don't know that there was a ton of really good kind of talking points to come out of Championship Saturday. We got the Final Four. We knew what the Final Four was going to be, and so the only real debate going into Sunday was who would get that number one spot. We'll discuss did they get it right, did they get it wrong with LSU as the Final Four is set with LSU, of course, getting the number one seed. They'll play Oklahoma. Clemson and Ohio State in the other game and then we'll transition to some other football topics I'll talk a little Kirby Smart a little Georgia a little bit about the fact that oh by the way I told you a year ago this program is good but it's not elite it is not on the level of Bama right now it's not on the level of LSU we'll talk a little Georgia probably talk a little Lay Kiffin back to the SEC and maybe even a little bit of this little brouhaha that led Tennessee to getting the Gator Bowl over the University of Kentucky. Kind of a little wild backstory from Sunday afternoon. Then what we'll do, we're going to do a quick football segment. I'm going to keep it 15 to 20 minutes. Then I'm going to bring in my buddy Ryan Fowler. If you remember Ryan Fowler, I had him on before the season. He's a radio host in Tuscaloosa. What I love about Ryan, he just tells it like it is. He's not afraid to say what's on his mind, what, what his opinions are. And I thought he'd be a fun guy to bring on because even though his his primary beat is to cover Alabama. He, of course, has a ton of opinions, and he's seen the monster that Ed Orgeron has built up close and in person. He has seen, of course, Kirby Smart, who spent a decade plus at Alabama. We'll talk about that. And, of course, he saw Lane Kiffin, who was a former Alabama assistant, now coming back to Ole Miss. So, uh, Ryan Fowler will join me here in about 15, 20 minutes. He's a fun guy, and I think you are going to love this interview. And I will wrap with a quick college basketball mailbag. Really not a ton to talk about in college hoops coming out of the weekend. North Carolina lost again to Virginia. But other than that, Washington and Gonzaga played late Sunday. Not a ton going on. And so I'm just going to hit a couple mailbag questions and then... I'll be honest, we're really going to hit basketball hard over these next couple weeks. I should mention, if you're not subscribed, make sure you're subscribed. we got a couple big, fun guests coming up, hoops-wise, over these next couple days. So make sure you're subscribed. And actually, as a matter of fact, let's get into it. Please, if you're not already... Make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on Podcast Addict. If you have an Android, please hit up Podcast Addict. That is the best way to get this show. You can do it on Spotify. You can do it on TuneIn Radio, Pod Paradise. Wherever you listen to shows, you can listen to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Like, for example, we got another five-star rating the other day from my good friend, uh, ben Allen Patrick, who said, best sports pod out there. And he got into a little bit of what Nick Coffey said last week about uh, what may or may not have happened at Chris Mack's Fantasy Camp. But make sure to rate and review this show. Give us those five stars. Also, if you have questions, like I said, we got a College Hoops mailbag coming at the end of this show. You can send in your questions, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Finally, I've said it, I've promised it, and I have delivered. There will be an Aaron Torres sports podcast event coming up in Vegas before the Kentucky, Ohio State, and UCLA, uh, UC, UCLA, UNC games. 
on December 20th. So the, the games are on December 21st. The event will be the 20th. I will have details. I have a conference call set up on Wednesday. I will have details. But if you're going to be in Vegas, make sure that you go ahead and email me or hit me up on Twitter or hit me up on Instagram. We are going to have a party in Vegas on Friday, the day before the Kentucky-Ohio State game. Everyone is welcome, assuming you're 21. I'd prefer people to be 21. If not, that's fine too. But we'll have appetizers. We'll have drink specials. It's going to be awesome. I will have details on the next episode. So if you're interested, if you're going to be in Vegas for the Ohio State game, uh, hit me up on Instagram, hit me up on Twitter, hit me up uh, via email because we're going to get together. Okay. All right. Let's do this. So I do want to kind of get into this because um, so much happened on Saturday, but so much really didn't happen, right? And so it's kind of crazy how this college football season thing always works out, right? Two, three, four weeks left in the season. There's all these different scenarios. And oh my goodness, we got to get to eight teams for the college football playoff because imagine if Alabama beats Auburn and their only loss is to LSU. What do we do with Alabama? What do we do with Oregon if Oregon's only loss is to Auburn? What about Utah? What about Baylor? What about a group of five team? What if Georgia beats LSU in the, in the SEC championship game? What do we do with all these teams? And then the games played themselves out Saturday. And as always, we kind of got to about a four or five team consensus. And I, I listen, I will say that there are times throughout the history of the college football playoff, this is now year six, where yeah, like there's been some real debate about who should be number four. And there might be two or three good candidates. But as a general rule, the college football playoff pretty much shakes itself out every year where you feel pretty good about the four teams that are going in. I mean, even last year, and we're going to get to Georgia in a second, but even last year with Georgia, Georgia lost its two best games of the regular season to LSU and then to Bama in the SEC championship game. And so, yes, you could make the argument for Georgia, but it wasn't this incredibly strong argument. And I bring all that up because that's exactly what happened on Saturday afternoon in college football. We spent the last month, well, what if Bama wins out? What do we do? They won't have Tua. What if Oregon, what if Utah? Well, everything cleared itself out. Oregon lost a few weeks ago. Alabama lost to Auburn in the Iron Bowl. Utah got stunned in the Pac-12 championship game, dominated, might even be the better word, by Oregon. And we got to a point where, okay, Oklahoma wins the Big 12 championship. Georgia loses the SEC championship. And we got the four teams for the college football playoff. And it was, by the end of Saturday, Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, and Oklahoma. And there was no debate. There was no this. There was no that. I remember this time last year, Nick Coffey and I were on this show arguing about should Georgia have legitimately had a shot to make the playoff with two losses. This year, there was none of that. And instead, what we got was a clean four teams, the four teams I mentioned, Ohio State, LSU, Clemson, and Oklahoma. And now the question became, who should get the number one spot? And so I, this was a great conversation coming in. It's something that I've kind of told you guys about, and not just me. I don't want to say that I'm the only one that was saying it, but throughout the last three or four weeks, it became apparent, probably the last month, maybe even six weeks, that there are three teams that are definitively better than everybody else in college football, right? Ohio State was definitively better than everybody in the Big Ten. Clemson, obviously miles ahead of everybody in the ACC, 
And of course, LSU over the course of the season proved to be the best team in the SEC. And so what was really interesting was there was instead this year when there's usually the debate for who's number four. This year it was the debate for who should be number one. And this was maybe the first year in the history of the college football playoff where getting that number one seed really mattered, right? Because look, sometimes there's a year where there's just one team that's definitively better than everybody else. A lot of years is like last year where Alabama and Clemson were miles ahead of everybody else. This year with three teams, getting that number one seed was so important because you wanted to avoid having to play the other two good teams to win a championship. And so we got to Saturday night and it became an LSU-Ohio State thing. So Ohio State falls down early in the uh, Big Ten championship game. They actually trailed at halftime. They rallied a win. LSU dominates Georgia, and it becomes the conversation of, okay, who should be number one? Should it be LSU? Should it be Ohio State? LSU ends up getting that number one spot, and I will just say that I think the committee got it right. And so look, I, I, I think it's an important kind of point to make is that the committee really couldn't do anything wrong if they were choosing between those two teams. I don't think there was an argument for Clemson, even though Clemson's a defending national champion. I don't know that there was really any real argument for Clemson at number one, only because their strength of schedule was so weak. They didn't beat a single team that finished in the, regu- in, the in the final top 25 of the season. Virginia was number 23, but they lost to Clemson in the ACC championship game. And so Clemson really didn't have the argument. So it came down to Ohio State and it came down to LSU. And it really was, you know, choose your bad analogy. It was like going to a a, a dessert store. You can't go wrong picking out your favorite flavor of ice cream or your favorite dessert or your favorite this or your favorite that. And the argument was Ohio State basically closed the season on a flourish. Their last three games, they beat Penn State, they won at Michigan, and they beat Wisconsin, who were all top 10 teams when they played them. They all finished in the top 13, I believe, of the final poll, or LSU, which probably had the wider margin of good wins in terms of the fact that they beat Bama at Bama with Tua, which is very important in this conversation. They beat Georgia in Georgia, and whatever you want to say about Georgia, and trust me, I'm going to go after Georgia here in a minute, but you beat Georgia in Georgia, that's a big deal. They, of course, beat Florida. They, of course, beat Auburn, who both finished in the top 15, and then, oh, by the way, there's the nice win on the road against Texas. And it's funny because everyone wants to criticize, well, Texas only finished 7-5. Well, you know, you can't really criticize LSU for playing Texas because they scheduled the game five, six, seven years ago. There was no way for LSU to know that Texas was going to be 7-5 and five by the end of this year. We had Texas in the top 10 when they played earlier this season. And so instead... I think, you know, my personal opinion was I thought the total, the totality of the wins was better for LSU. I thought we should credit them for challenging themselves out of conference. Now, look, I know Texas doesn't look like a great win on paper, but I do think there's something to be said about the fact that they went ahead and put a game on the road against a big-time opponent that could have, in theory, been a top-5, top-10 team, and now... They played the game, and they won convincingly. So those were kind of the two arguments. It came down to Sunday night, and to the credit of the committee, I personally believe they got it right. I just think that when you look at the fact that LSU beat Bama at Bama with Tua, that is still, to me, probably the best win of the season. I'll take it a step further. I think you can argue beating Bama 
at Bama with Tua is the best win anyone had all season. And oh, by the way, I think you can argue that the second best win anybody had all season was LSU beating Georgia in Georgia at the Georgia Dome. It's not called the Georgia Dome anymore. It's the Mercedes-Benz Stadium. But you get the point. In Atlanta, I think you can make the case that's the second best win. And so I thought the committee got it right. I Obviously, the final four wasn't that difficult to project, but I did like that they were willing to be flexible. And I want to give the committee credit here because everyone, this is what we do in, in our little world. We love to be critical. We love to pick apart, you know, everything, right? The Whatever it is. This team hasn't played anybody. This team's schedule stinks. That coach stinks. And listen, I'm guilty of it. I'm in the media. It's what I do. But I also think that you have to remember that these people in a room have a job to do, and I thought they did it well. I thought they felt like, okay, LSU, while they had a lot of great wins coming into this weekend, they also had some question marks. This was a team that a month ago, three weeks ago, gave up 600 yards of total offense to Ole Miss. And so at the time, as of Saturday morning, they thought Ohio State was the better team. LSU goes to to Atlanta, beats Georgia convincingly, and they move LSU ahead. So I just want to go ahead and give the committee a little bit of credit there because I thought that it would have been it would have been very easy for them to kind of just sit there and kind of go status quo and stay where they were and keep Ohio State at number 1. Instead, they put LSU at number 1, and it sets up what I think will be a great December 28th, which is the day of the college football playoffs. Obviously, look, LSU Oklahoma, Clemson Ohio State, those are going to be two phenomenal games. We'll have plenty of time over the next couple weeks to preview them. I'm not going to sit here and kind of overanalyze, okay, I like this team, I like that team, I think this team's going to win, da-da-da-da. I will say like early leans, I would say that I do think LSU has a definitive advantage. I thought it was interesting. Oklahoma opened up as a nine-point underdog to LSU. It was already bet up to 13 points by the time that I'm doing this show on Saturday or on Sunday night. So I think most of the gamblers think LSU is going to win convincingly. And then in the second game, I'll be honest, I do kind of like Clemson. And I know we've been overly critical of Clemson. And again, these aren't my official picks or official breakdown or whatever. We have three weeks to do that. And so give me time and I will get you some good guests and we will talk about it. But in the intermediary, I think that If you're asking me right now, today, Sunday night, the day that the teams are announced, I like Clemson for two reasons. One, Clemson has been flying under the radar all year long. They have dominated about the last six weeks of the season. They crushed Louisville. They crushed Virginia in the ACC championship game. They crushed everyone that's been on. They they crushed South Carolina, who beat Georgia, by the way. And so the way that I look at this is that Clemson is playing really well. Dabo can play the no respect card. And on top of that, I think Ohio State's kind of coming in with some actual question marks. If you think about it, they struggled early against Wisconsin, the most vulnerable they've looked all year. Justin Fields is a little banged up. And I would also say, Ryan Day, the new head coach at Ohio State, some of the stuff coming out of there, I don't know that I really like what I'm hearing from Ryan Day. He was complaining after the game on Sunday, He was com- or on Saturday night, he was complaining on Sunday that they should have been the number one seed. I think you start doing that a little too much publicly. It starts to rub off on your team like, you know, we don't deserve this or we deserve better or whatever. Just go out and play the games. I loved Ed Orgeron. I loved what he said after the SEC championship game when they asked him, should he be the number one seed? He said, honestly, we don't really care. 
Like, he didn't say it officially, but he's like, dude, we beat all Alabama at Alabama. We beat Georgia in Georgia. We beat Auburn. We beat Florida. Like, wherever you send us, we're going to be fine. So I would say that, and again, we're going to have plenty of time to discuss these games, but I believe that we are in a situation where if I had to guess right now, if I had to predict right now, I would say LSU pretty convincingly. Also, uh, I will take Clemson early against Ohio State. All right, so outside of the games on Saturday, I don't know that there were a lot of topics besides the four teams that made the college football playoff. Obviously, there's the coaching stuff, which we're going to get into in a second. But the only on-the-field topic that I really want to talk about is the Georgia Bulldogs. One of my favorite topics, mind you, because if you've listened to this show, you know that, frankly, I've been about as critical of Georgia as anyone in the media, and it's for one simple reason. Well, it's really for two reasons. One of them is in Kirby Smart's control. One of them is out of Kirby Smart's control. Now, the reason that is in Kirby Smart's control that I just, I don't like the Georgia Bulldogs, I don't buy them, is very simply this. This was a team that last year in the SEC championship game, a year ago, basically this week, They went to Atlanta in their home state in the SEC championship game. They have a second half lead against Bama. This, of course, a year after they lost to Bama in the national championship game. They blow that second half lead. They lose to Bama in the SEC championship game last year. And then they go to the podium and they claim that they deserve a shot at the playoff because of a close loss to Bama. As I've said many times, no team in the history of sports that I remember has ever gotten more credit for close losses than Georgia. But their entire resume, their entire persona has been built on two close losses to Bama. That is in Kirby Smart's control. The one thing I will say that's out of Kirby Smart's control is kind of the media that continues to push this narrative. The media that continues to push the fact that they are the closest thing that we've seen to Bama since Nick Saban built Bama. That they are on the heels of Bama, that they could potentially catch Bama. These are things that the media has said the last two years. They said it two years ago after Georgia lost in overtime in the S- in the national championship game to Alabama, and they, of course, said it coming into this season after last year's SEC championship game, and I never bought it, and I always said, look, prove it on the field. Until I see it, I'm not buying it, and so the reason I want to talk about Georgia is because, once again, they fell apart on a big stage, in college football, when the world was watching. We all saw the game, I referenced it a minute ago, 37-10 to the final score to LSU. Now, part of me doesn't want to crush Georgia because, let's remember, they were a 7-point, you know, touchdown, 8-point underdog coming into this game. And so, listen, Vegas thought they were going to lose. Vegas thought LSU was going to win. So, like, I'm not just going to crush Georgia for, like, oh, my God, how did they lose to LSU? No, LSU's a really good team. I just went over LSU's resume a minute ago. They deserve to be this number one seed in the college football playoff. But it also brings up the very simple reality that when Kirby Smart isn't coaching against Dan Mullen, he's not very good in big games. I brought up this stat the other day. I think it's worth repeating here. He is 0-4 in his career combined against Ed Orgeron and Nick Saban. Three of those games. So he's lost to the two premier coaches right now in the SEC the four times that he's faced him, he's 0-4. And three of those games have been in the state of Georgia. And I don't care what you say, if you're a big-time coach, if you run a big-time program, if you really want to be talked about as one of the elite programs in college football, you got to win some of these games. 
especially, especially when three of the four games are in your home state. You talk to people that were at the SEC championship game on Saturday afternoon, they said it was 80% Georgia fans there. And yet this is the third time in the last two years, the last two calendar years, that Georgia has lost to either Alabama or LSU in Atlanta in a big game. And so I just want, I just hope that this night, that this result, that this game has once and for all, until they proved it, completely killed this notion that Georgia is right on the heels of Alabama, or at this point, are they even on the heels of LSU? I don't think so. Now look, we're going to get into in a minute, LSU, the big picture, is this sustainable once Joe Burrow leaves? I don't know. But the one thing you can't deny is that LSU, for at least this one season, has surpassed Bama. But in the bigger picture, the conversation becomes, is LSU now the second best program in the SEC? Did Georgia already miss their window to catch Bama to become the premier program in the SEC? And I think the answer might be yes. I really, truly do. And I think what what, what comes out of that is two kind of really interesting questions. First off is, was firing Mark Richt worth it? And it sounds crazy, right? Mark Richt, he's let go, he's this, he's that. And to Kirby Smart's credit, to Kirby Smart's credit, they have won three straight SEC East titles. Now, granted, it's come at a time when the SEC is down. As I tweeted the other day, the SEC East, I should say the SEC East is down. It's on its way back up. As I said the other day, Florida has is rolling under Dan Mullen. Jeremy Pruitt just took a team that went 3-9 and nine two years ago and has them at 7-5 and five in a bowl game. And Kentucky is recruiting and winning at a level that it's never won before. So I don't think the SEC East is going to be as easy. But the thing with Mark Richt is this. Mark Richt averaged like nine and a half wins over the course of his final few years at Georgia. Or he, excuse me, he, he averaged nine and a half wins during his career at Georgia. He averaged over 10 wins per year in his final four. Here's the, here's the, here's the bottom line. You look at Kirby Smart's first four years at Georgia. He's 43 and 12. Mark Richt was 39 and 13. That is basically one more loss and a couple fewer wins. And so you fired Mark Richt because he couldn't get you over the top. You fired Mark Richt because you wanted to win national championships. Nine and three, 10 and two was not good enough. Winning the SEC East was not good enough. You wanted to topple Bama. You wanted to get to the top of the sport. And so you let you got rid of Mark Richt and you brought in Kirby Smart. And so this is my question. Is Georgia in any better of a place today than they were with Mark Richt? Was it even worth firing Mark Richt? And to take it a step further, it's something I asked Ryan Fowler later in the show. Is Georgia any closer to a national championship today than they were either the night they lost to Alabama or the day they hired Kirby Smart when they fired Mark Richt? I don't think the answer is yes. I really don't. I think that we have gotten to a place where Alabama is clearly ahead of them and LSU has surpassed them. And then, oh, by the way, you still got Clemson. You still got Ohio State. Oklahoma is at least kind of on that Georgia tier of good, but can they win a national championship? And so I'm just sitting here saying, has the window already passed with Kirby Smart? Is he what he was promised to be, which was a coach that is good enough to bring them a national championship? And I don't think the answer is yes. I would add, there is one other really important element here, and it's this. If Kirby Smart 
wants to take it to the next level, I think he's got to have a real kind of come to Jesus moment over the course of this offseason. Because the one thing that we've learned in college football over the last couple of years, you cannot win games trying to beat everybody 13-10 and 21-14 and 14-7. You got to be able to score. And you looked at LSU and they were able to march up and down the field, up and down the field, up and down the field. Alabama has evolved their offense. Michigan has evolved its offense. Ohio State, Clemson, these are all teams that can score 35, 40 points. And Georgia's like that one last holdover that you look at them and you just say like, man, I don't know. If, if the game gets, and this was why, by the way, I picked LSU convincingly in the SEC championship game. I said, if LSU can score 20 points, the game's over. Like, like forget it. It's a wrap. And so I look at this situation and I do think it's going to be fascinating what happens with Kirby Smart in the offensive meeting room in the offseason. Is this a program? Is he going to get a new offensive coordinator? Is he going to hire somebody else? Is he going to bring somebody else in? Because I don't think that you can continue to win this game, to win games this way in the SEC in 2019, heading into the 2020 season. But again, this is on Kirby Smart. This is on Georgia. You've claimed that you deserved a spot in the playoff last year. The media has portrayed you as an almost equal to Bama you're not there, man. You're not there. You're a really good program. No disrespect. Three SEC East titles, but you can't get over the hump. Your own four against Ed Orgeron and Nick Saban combined. Three of those losses were in the state of Georgia. You're Kirby Smart. You're pay, getting paid a lot of money. It's almost the, the, the Jim Harbaugh stuff that we were talking about last week. Getting paid a lot of money. At some point, you got to beat Nick Saban. At some point, you got to beat Ed Orgeron. That moment has not come yet. All right, I do want to wrap on a couple really quick topics. There were a couple coaching hires in the SEC. Um, Sam Pittman is now the head coach at the University of Arkansas. He is basically a career assistant coach, career offensive coordinator. He was actually at Georgia for a while. He was at Arkansas for a while. I'll be honest. I just don't know enough about this guy to really kind of commentate on it. I'm going to do my homework, maybe come with something uh, later on in the week on that one. Missouri has its head coach. They went and got the guy at Appalachian State. Of course, that guy was only there for one year because Scott Satterfield, who left for Louisville, was there before. And then, of course, there is one other school which has a new head coach, and that's, of course, Ole Miss, who just went and got the lane train, Joey Freshwater. I am, of course, talking about Lane Kiffin. And can I just tell you, Listen, we can argue about Georgia and how good they are, or should LSU or Ohio State, who should be number one, like all that stuff, like, okay, whatever, we can argue about that. Who really cares? What we need to talk about and what we can all agree on is Lane Kiffin is back in college football, and that's just great. Lane Kiffin is back in the SEC, and that is great. Listen, I know I just said he's back in college football, but what I was trying to say was he's been in college football, but not like this. Now he's with the big boys in the big pond, in the big with the big fish, at Ole Miss, and I think this is going to be phenomenal. And I'll tell you this, guys. It's funny, right? So I do all these local radio interviews, including in Tuscaloosa with Ryan Fowler, who will be coming on momentarily. And I went on in Knoxville a few weeks ago. And Knoxville is, of course, where Lane Kiffin coached for one year. And if you remember, that one year was basically filled with all sorts of headaches. He accused Urban Meyer of uh, tampering with a recruit and, and breaking NCAA rules. Turns out Urban Meyer wasn't breaking NCAA rules. Said they were going to sing Rocky Top all night long. After they beat Florida, they lose to Florida. He gets some other recruiting violations. He has the, the Vol hostesses, and you can Google all this stuff. It was an incredible 12 months for Lane Kiffin at the University of Tennessee. 
But when I was on in Knoxville, they were asking me, they were like, dude, do you really think the SEC offices are happy that this guy is back in this league? And I said, well, actually, yeah, I do. And I'll tell you why. Because this guy makes one of the most irrelevant programs in this conference instantaneously interesting. And I don't know if Lane Kiffin's going to work. Listen, I think he'll be pretty good. He's a good recruiter. Ole Miss actually has a very good recruiting base. For people who don't know, one of the best high school programs in the country, South Panola High School, is right down the road from the Ole Miss campus. Mississippi produces a lot of football players in the high school ranks. But I don't really think it's about that. Like, I think he'll be fine. Like, remember, he's in a division with uh, with with Nick Saban, with Gus Malzahn, with Ed Orgeron, with Jimbo Fisher. So, like, I don't think Lane Kiffin's going to be great, but he'll be interesting. He'll make headlines. He'll say dumb stuff. He'll tweet dumb stuff. You'll probably see him out at a bar with a bunch of co-eds, and it's going to happen. Like, it's inevitable. But he's Lane freaking Kiffin. And so I just want to give a shout-out to Ole Miss. I want to give a shout-out to the Rebs. Because this program, who, oh, by the way, just got hit with major violations thanks to Hugh Freeze's staff. Lane Kiffin's brother was on that staff and got a show cause. That school just went out and hired Lane Kiffin. I think he'll work. I think he'll be okay. I think they'll be like 7-5-ish, and five ish, win some games-ish. I don't think they're ever going to win the SEC West. I don't think they're ever going to go to one of these New Year's Six Bowl games. But he will make things interesting and that is good for college football, that is good for the SEC, and that is good for the for Ole Miss. Outside of that, I think that's all I really got to talk about with, with college football today, guys. You know, it was a great weekend. We got some great bowl games. I should mention, by the way, I saw that Gator Bowl fiasco with Tennessee and Kentucky. For people who don't know, basically Tennessee <laughs> had decided that they were going to go to the Music City Bowl in Nashville. It's obviously Tennessee's first bowl game in a couple years that would send Kentucky to the Gator Bowl. At the last minute, Phil Fulmer f- throws a fit. Phil Fulmer, obviously the now Tennessee athletic director, decides, you know what, we want to go to the Gator Bowl. And because they had beaten Kentucky head-to-head, they got the final say. They choose the Gator Bowl. It sends Kentucky to Charlotte. So that was a little bit of a fiasco. All I can say is for a Kentucky fan listening, and there are a lot listening, um, I've been to that bowl game in Charlotte. When UConn actually had a relevant football program, um, I... Uh, I, UConn played in that bowl game, I think, in the winter of maybe 2008. So it was like the the December 2007 into 2008. I went to Charlotte. It's a really fun city. It's a really fun bowl game. I think you guys will have fun. I'll also say I thought it was kind of a bad look for Tennessee, not because they kind of pulled the power card and the power trip and all that stuff. It was more so that I just think you haven't been to a bowl game in forever. I know there's more glamour with playing in Florida on New Year's Day. But when you can play in your home state, in a city where your fans are going to buy up 75,000 tickets, I just thought it was kind of a dumb move by Tennessee. So Tennessee is now going to the Gator Bowl. But I'll tell you this, Tennessee, you know, there's Tennessee fans that listen to this show. I get it. You want the prestige. I would have rather gone to Nashville if I was them. And Kentucky fans, I do think you'll enjoy your trip to Charlotte. All right, that is all for this segment of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Um, I'm going to go ahead and bring in Ryan Fowler. Now, Ryan, again, to reiterate, he's one of my favorite guys to talk football with. He works in Tuscaloosa, and I just think he's a great guy to kind of talk about all the subjects that I just hit on, right? So we just talked about, um, you know, Lane Kiffin. Well, Lane Kiffin worked at Alabama. Ryan covered Lane Kiffin. Um, We talked about Ed Orgeron. Ryan had some interesting things to say about Ed Orgeron. 
We talked about Kirby Smart. Well, Kirby Smart was an assistant in Alabama for 10 years. Obviously, Nick Saban in Alabama. So much to get into. So Ryan Fowler, the radio host in Tuscaloosa, will join me on the back end. Some college basketball mailbag questions. So stay tuned. If you don't want more football talk, go to the end. But now here is my buddy, Ryan Fowler. All right, and joining me on the phone now, as promised, my buddy. I had him on to start the season. He made some really big headlines by kind of crushing Kirby Smart. He is back. He hosts the game on Tide 1029 in Tuscaloosa, Monday to Friday, 2 to 6 Central Time. Uh, and he's here to talk about all sorts of things related to this playoff, to the SEC, Kirby Smart, Lane Kiffin. Ryan Fowler is on the phone. My man, what's going on? Man, are you getting me on to talk about basketball? Yeah, I mean, that's what you're going to let me break down Nate Oates' uh, starting five? Well, first of all, um, I don't know if I'm ever allowed to, uh, you know, say, I don't know if say nice things about Nate Oates, but I feel like I cursed the Alabama basketball program because of the fact that I had Nate Oates on uh, about two days before the season started. He said to me, he says, Aaron, you know, uh, I, I, I got to be honest, I've, I have faith in this team, but that Penn team is really good to start the season. They lost, and they really haven't recovered since. So I, I take partial responsibility for Alabama's struggles in basketball. But I want to talk to you about football, man. You've been covering SEC football for the better part of 20 years. You have seen it all. We now have uh, a head coach at Georgia who's sort of under fire, former Alabama assistant. We got the new head coach at Ole Miss, a former Alabama assistant. We got Alabama itself who's outside of the playoffs. So real quick, there's so much stuff I want to get into you on, Ryan, but but let me just start with this. The primary beat that you cover is Alabama. You know the SEC as well as anybody, but what was it like being an Alabama fan, an Alabama media member here on Sunday morning, Sunday afternoon, when there was no college football playoff selection show to watch and to prepare for and things like that? First time in the playoff history that Alabama isn't in it. Weird. Strange. Um, like, I even watched the college football selection show. I mean, because I'm a college football fan, but I kind of watched it like, like hoping that there was like a mistake that they had, you know, like some way that, you know, maybe I just dreamed that like the last month of November really didn't happen because it's so strange. You know, like, here comes the final four and they're releasing it and they're talking about it. And I'm going, okay, all right, so here we go. Where's all the going to be at? You know, where are they going? And, um, and it was like the first thing my wife looked at me and she said, uh, she said, really? You know what I, mean? I mean, it's just strange. <laughs> it, it's so, like, it's just weird, which kind of speaks volume to what, you know, he's been able to accomplish. I mean, think about it. I mean, that it's, you know, strange that, that you don't have Alabama in this thing. I mean, it's just, it's weird. It, it's just, it's awkward. It's just, it, it's one of those that you look at and you're just like, Really? Really, Alabama's not a part of the college football playoffs, and uh, it's just—it's—it's it's awkward, my friend. It, it's strange. It's—it's it's everything that you would think it would be, and you know, I don't know what this off season is is going to uh, to bring because you know there's some problems here in Tuscaloosa. I mean, I'm not going to act uh, you know like everything is you know hunky dory down here. I mean, it, it's uh, you know he's got to he's got to repair some leaks in the uh, in the dam, if not, you know, maybe we're seeing the, I mean, maybe we're seeing a slide or, or maybe not a slide. Maybe everybody's just caught up with Alabama that, that Alabama really hadn't slid down 
It's just everybody else caught up and tightened the gap. So real quick, what do you perceive those holes to be? Because I think most people would, would sit here and say, um, and I don't want to make this whole thing about Alabama because we got a playoff and we got all these coaching changes okay, and all okay. that stuff. But yep. I do want to ask you because I think nine, not even every other fan base except for maybe Clemson would sit here and say, what are you talking Alabama, they got no issues. They're Alabama. Meanwhile, um, you know, you say that there's issues. And so I'm just kind of curious as somebody who lives in this thing every day, what are the concerns for Alabama going into this offseason and into next year? Because, again, obviously there's a one-year kind of lull. You don't make the playoff. But I think there's an ex expectation among college football fans that Alabama's right back in the mix next year. Believe in what you do. Aaron Torres, you have a style on radio. I have a style on radio. Believe in what you do. Nick Saban listened to the outside noise. Interesting. And he realized that he couldn't go through processing new coaches every single year. And he convinced himself. He said, hold on a minute. Whoa, 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 whoa. i got to be able to get guys that are going to be consistent. Uh, there's no way that I can you know, go through coaches. And what he did is he went out and, and he hired some guys that I don't think are not Nick Saban Alabama quality. And he admitted at the SEC media days that he had to hire the change the way they hire coaches. And I'm sitting there going, really? I mean, this guy has been so, you know, right down to the process of everything he does. You know, and now we're talking about, uh, you know, a situation where he's looking at it going, hey, he hired coaches that was going to be long-term options. Like he was tired of hiring coaches that was just going to be here for one year, gone the next, or here for two years, gone. And he went out and sacrificed guys that would stay here longer for quality. And it got him beat. Really interesting. Yeah, and it's funny because they've talked about that throughout a couple of the broadcasts is that he's never been afraid to kind of hire a guy that has ambitions to be a head coach, but that over the last couple of years he's found that guys maybe are taking parallel jobs or similar jobs at other places uh, when he's there. So real quick, just, just in the bigger picture, as, a, as someone who covers Bama, as someone whose livelihood is tied to the Crimson Tide, are you really worried? And the only reason I ask is because I think on one hand you sit there and say, dude, they've recruited at this insane level. They're going to be fine. It's Nick Saban, et cetera. But kind of on the inverse of that, you also sit there and say, you know, LSU looked pretty freaking good this year. Georgia, who you and I are about to crush. I already crushed Georgia earlier in the show. But um, – you know, they, they have won three straight SEC championships and or three, three straight SEC East championships, excuse me. So is there so so I guess what I'm asking is, is there concern? Is there doubt? Is are things starting to creep in? I, I don't even know if I mentioned this, but two was gone after this year, the best quarterback in program history. Are you at all concerned going forward? I, I mean a little bit, but it, it's not like that. I don't believe that he cannot fix the issue. I really believe that he can find a way to get some quality guys in here and uh, correct some of the problems and find a way to just get back to what he knows best. Don't get sucked in. Like, you've not got to keep up, no offense to anybody out there with the last name of Jones. But you don't have to keep up the Joneses. I mean, you just you just do your thing. Don't You don't have to be somebody that you're not. I mean, you know, you and I don't have to pretend that we're somebody that, you know, hey, listen, we're, you know, we're this or we're this. No, no, just do your thing. Do your thing. Do what you do. 
You don't have to be somebody else. And I think Nick Saban's going to look at himself in the mirror and say, you know what, uh, I tried to adjust too much in college football. So what do you mean by that, he tried to adjust too much? It, was it just hiring the biggest names? Was it just – Yeah, but, but I mean, but it, it was just the way that, like, okay, I mean, like this, this Nick Saban rough-and-tough coach, like, because everybody would say, well, Alabama's too much business. You know, they're, they're too uh, – they don't have any fun there. It, it, it's all about, you know, the business side of it. And so Nick Saban kind of, like, dropped his guard and tried to pretend to have all this fun and – you know, he wanted to do this and he wanted to do that, and it just—it was just weird. It was weird covering it, like, like, like I, I found this Nick Saban just being different. Whether it was the conversations that he would have in the media room, as far as you know, the way that he would handle. Well, I mean, it was just awkward. It was—it was like I'm telling you, like if you if you wrote down 13 separate years and you label them every single—I don't know what I'd label this, but it was just. It was covering this year was almost like I was covering a, a like a coach with a different personality. Like it, it was just it was the typical Nick Saban. Like he said a lot of the same mannerisms, but it was the way that he said it, and 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 just just the I don't know. I mean, it was just it was just it was strange, Torres. It was just it was weird. I mean, I'd be sitting on the front row of listening to Nick Saban. I'd be like. What's he talking about? Like, like, I mean, it was just, it was, it was weird. It was weird. I mean, it was just, it was not the typical Nick Saban. I mean, like Nick Saban would pounce on some of those questions that he was getting. And he just kind of like, you know, lolly popped him right over into, you know, right over the second baseman's head for a single. And he was happy with that rather than just crushing it out of the park. Is it possible he's just getting soft in old age or is he just trying, is he, is he really listening to the outside? Uh, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not willing to join the, the national narrative of Nick Saban's because he's the youngest 68 years of age I've ever seen. Yep. I just think that he listened to the outside noise. He, he tried to be somebody that he's not. I mean, you know, if Coach K comes in and says, hey, I'm going to coach like this guy or whoever, uh, you, you know, you try to be somebody that you're not, you, you kind of lose some authenticity. And I think Nick Saban has got to look back at himself and say, man, I got suckered into that, and I'm not going to do it again. I'm going to be who I am, and if people don't like it, so be it. All right, very good. Well, kind of in that same vein, I mean, for at least one season, Alabama was, in fact, passed in the SEC by the LSU Tigers. And we all saw, I actually referenced this on the last show, the video of Coach O uh, in the locker room in Tuscaloosa after the game you know, we beat their ass on the field. We beat their ass. Da 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 da. We're gonna beat their ass in recruiting. Roll Tide. F you. Da 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 da. I'm not gonna swear. This is a family show, etc. Two kind of independent questions. You obviously saw Coach O 10, 12, 15 years ago at Ole Miss. You see him now. One, just as a fan of college football, are you kind of happy to see him having success, or are you, are you at least impressed how much is, that he's evolved since Ole Miss? And then the second thing, is this sustainable? I mean, Joe Burrow is a senior. He's going to win the Heisman Trophy, but he'll be gone. Uh, the, the kind of the new car smell will wear off after this year. Is this something? Are they a real threat to Bama? Are you concerned? Just what are your overall impressions, both of Coach O and the program going forward? All right, so let me go to Coach O just for a minute, okay? Down in the South, we love sweet tea, okay? Yes, you and so Can I tell a quick this, story this, real uh, quick on that, by the way? 
Yeah, go ahead. Go there ahead. was one time you were in Vegas, my home away from home, and you called me and you said, hey, A.T., Torres, what's the best restaurant to go to in Vegas? And there was it's literally home of the best restaurants in the world, and you ended up going to Chick-fil-A because you wanted sweet tea. I will never forget that. So continue. Yes, yes. But yes. Pe- yes. people love yes. their sweet tea. Okay, so this is the nicest compliment you can give somebody. Like if you, you see somebody and you're like, hey, I'd love to be able to set out back. I'd love to be able to set out back and sit on a porch and have a glass of sweet tea and just pick that guy's brain. That guy, for me, is Coach O. Hmm. That, I would love really to sit out on a porch and just pour up a glass of sweet tea, squeeze a little lemon in it, and just sit there and listen to him talk because I think he connects with that culture. And I really respect the state of Louisiana. I, I enjoy going down to New Orleans. It's a, it's a culture within itself. But it's just fun to go down there and see exactly what everybody's, you know, doing as far as the Cajun cuisine and all the different things. I mean, New Orleans is like a world within itself. It's just a, it's a, it's a much different place than any place you'll ever have a chance to go. And so, to be able to to go out and I, I'd love just to sit on a, uh, the back of a uh, a dock and just listen to this guy, listen to him talk, listen to him, you know, just have a have a conversation about life, but I think he motivates. I think he connects with that culture. He looks at guys and just, you know, I, I think he, he he gets them to play. I mean, I think Joe Burrow said it last night following the game. Whenever they beat the, the Georgia Bulldogs, one of the things that he said was simply, um, you know, he, he had a motivation of, of just, he, he said, that's a guy that you want to fight for. That's a guy that you want to fight for. And, you know, when I heard that, I was like, wow, you know, it's just a guy that, you know, you think about it and you, you know, you kind of paint that, you know, perspective. Uh, I think that's the guy that you would want to fight for. And, and, and I think that's where Joe Burrow uh, pretty much summed everybody up with what we were saying. The guy that you want to go fight for. And I think Coach O connects with his players. And I think he gets everything out of them that is just it's just different. And uh, listen, I I, I I followed the guy at LSU. I didn't see that at yep. LSU. Excuse me, I followed him at Ole Miss, and I didn't see that. But I see it at LSU. And uh, you know, I think he was like two and twenty-five in conference play there at at, at Ole Miss. And uh, you know, Coach O is. Um, the guy that rallies the troops, and I think he'll rally the troops down in Baton Rouge. Yeah, and and it's crazy because even when he didn't have success at Ole Miss, I mean, people forget uh, the year after he left, Houston Nut came and they won back to they went to the Cotton Bowl in back to back years, and so he he was always able to recruit, but I don't think he, anyone thought he would evolve into. Uh, the coach that he's become, and it's kind of interesting to me because I had Jacob Hester from Baton Rouge on last week, and one thing that he and I talked about was, you know, I think Coach O has some dabble in him where I think he's smart enough to know what he doesn't know. He's hired really good people. He's empowered those people, whether it is Dave Aranda, whether it is Joe Brady, the offensive guru who's not quite their offensive coordinator. And I'm not doing the whole, like, this is good because it's working at this second and this isn't good. But it is kind of interesting. You talked off the top about Alabama kind of losing one assistant coach after the other after the other, whereas at a place like LSU, it 
seems like he's hired guys, he's empowered guys, and for the most part, they seem to be happy there and, and kind of coaching things up and playing well. Well, he is. I mean, he is, and, and, and I think he's going to, you know, do some really, really cool things when, when you think about, you know, able to recruit. I mean, look, look at what he's been able to take that momentum and take that energy and, and now carry it out to the recruiting trail, and I think that will continue. I think LSU is, is you know, it's kind of like, um, you know, joining the, neighbor, you know, the neighborhood kids out in the playground. Uh, it, it's a chance where, you know, I think he can find a way to, to, to be a, a frequent guy. I don't think it's just a one-year thing. I think this is something that he's probably going to continue. And, and, you know, as he challenges, you know, Nick Saban, I'm not saying that they're going to take over as, as this or take over as that, but I just I, I see someone who is going to have to be dealt with. And uh, Nick Saban is going to have to find a way to, to, to kind of look at it and say, hey, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. And, and you know, if he doesn't, if he doesn't do that, I mean, see, the, the problem is, is Nick Saban gets hit from multiple different angles. Sure. Okay. He's getting hit from Jimbo Fisher in Texas, you know, Kirby Freeze, uh, I mean, smart over in uh, Georgia. <laughs> uh, and then he's getting hit by Coach O down there in, in Louisiana. I mean, Auburn's winning, you know, I mean, you got to remember, I mean, Auburn's beat Nick Saban two out of the last three years. So it's, uh, you know, it's, it's an area that they're going to have to fix some of the, the issues or, or, you know, this could be a, a something that happens, unfortunately, maybe more often. So real quick, um, you know, you've been covering Bama for a long time now. Is LSU, would you say they're the biggest threat to kind of the big picture of Bama uh, since Nick Saban's got there, at the very least in the SEC. I mean, if you want to talk Clemson on the national stage, that's kind of a different conversation. But in the SEC, are they the biggest threat to kind of what Nick Saban has built so far? Uh-oh. I, I, I got you to freeze I, there I for a second. in some way, I, I, but I want to see more than just one year. Like, sure. I want to see him lose the coordinators like Joe Brady, who came from the Saints. Is Joe Brady – is there another Joe Brady out there? I, I don't see that guy because, I mean, they're a different team. All right, so you lose Joe Burrow. Who's the next guy? I mean, it's you're fair. talking about, you know, a Heisman winner and, and you know, in, in Joe Burrow or will be. And and so when you look at Joe Burrow, I, th- I think that's the conversation that you look back and you say, okay, show me. It's like Nick Saban winning in 2009. Okay, well, then 2010, what happened? The sets, sense of complacency settled in. Sure. And they lost three games in 2010. Well, then they bounced back. They won 2011, 2012, and that entitlement sort of came back, and they got beat in 13 and 14, won it again in 15, got beat in 16. So even Nick Saban has dealt with, you know, the challenges and the hurdles of, of becoming kind of complacent and entitled. And uh, I think well, let's see what Coach O does. And if we're having the conversation next year that they're part of the college football playoffs, then I think we can make a better state. Very good. Uh, that, and I think that's a great point. And I think that's what a lot of people are wondering right now. You have Joe Burrow. He's a senior. Is it sustainable? It'll be fascinating to watch. One team that people have claimed is soon to be the team to dethrone Alabama is our boy Kirby Smart 
at Georgia. And before you get into it, I want to backtrack for people who listen to this show but maybe don't remember Ryan. Ryan made a huge, uh, at least a regional headline from the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast in August or maybe even July. It was either at the SEC Media Day or right around SEC Media Day. Um, Ryan Fowler came on this show and I asked him about Kirby Smart because as I said off the top, as I was talking about Kirby Smart, I think the guy's kind of a fraud. And not only do I think the guy's kind of a fraud, um, you know, I thought the the narrative by Georgia last year to claim that they deserved a spot in the college football playoff because they played Bama close, I thought that was the biggest nonsense BS that I've ever heard. And I'm so glad we don't have an 8 or a 12 or a 16-team playoff because that team lost to the two best teams on their schedule. I already talked about it. I already gave my opinion on Kirby Smart. So to go back to SEC Media Day, I asked Ryan about Kirby Smart. And Kirby Smart, of course, coached at Alabama for about 10 years, 9, 10, 11 years, somewhere in that frame. And Ryan Fowler said this about Georgia fans. He said, all they have is their Herschel Walker VHS tapes. And for people who don't remember, never forget, Herschel Walker for, you know, we got a lot of college kids that listen to this show, young people. Herschel Walker was maybe the greatest player in the history of college football. He played from like 1980 to 1982. And the point being that outside of one run with the greatest player in the history of the sport 40 years ago, they really haven't done all that much. And so Ryan, that I, I pulled off that clip. It got retweeted hundreds of times on Twitter. It got shared on Instagram. Ryan Fowler, where do you stand four or five months later? Kirby Smart goes to the Georgia Dome again, loses an SEC championship game again. He's now 0-4 against Saban and Coach O. Three of those losses have come in Atlanta. I think he's a good coach. I think Georgia's a good program. I also know that he was brought to Georgia to win national championships because Mark Richt couldn't. I don't know that they're any closer to a national championship today than they were the day that they hired him. All right, so let's let's go back to the comment. I, I did make a comment, and recently I used it against Rick Flair because what he like he was talking. Yeah, he was talking smack, man. He was. I mean, that Rick Flair. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's that guy. Okay. So what Are, he did was he was, on your show? He or put something? out. No, he, he put out a tweet, and it was a is a white T-shirt, and it said, uh, "This is Alabama's national championship T-shirt from 2019, like this year." Okay, and and so I just quoted the tweet. I said, um, "I can't remember if I said, hey, Rick, you want to borrow my Herschel Walker VHS?'" Tape? Okay, <laughs> and uh, like it went viral again. So, like, I've used that, man. I mean, that may be, like, my catchphrase. You know, like, Ryan Fowler, home. And, and see, i gotta, I got to give credit where credit is due. Sure. I actually plagiarized a little bit from that. You said, you told us. You, it was our yeah, buddy, okay. Der, Drew DeArmond, who also. Drew DeArmond, yeah. Ready? Yeah, okay, okay. So, I, I feel guilty when I, when I don't cite people. And, uh, you know, i got to give Drew some credit. So, that's the first time I've ever heard it, but I'm kind of like, you know, I don't know. I traded in like a, a chicken sandwich for it or something. I don't know. I, I got to old Drew something. Maybe a Dreamland barbecue rib or something. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's just, um, you know, it's, it's one of those comments that, uh, you know, when you think about it, it's, um, you know, it's a, Listen. it's a, uh, you know, it was fun. It was oh. fun. But, but going back to where I see yes. Georgia right now. Georgia, please. Yes. See, I see Georgia as a, 
Like, is the thing, same thing we we're talking about with Coach O. See, I think everybody crowned him because he was the one of the guys that could compete with Nick Saban. And I think we've made him something that we're not. I proposed the question a few days, a few hours ago about, um, you know, is Kirby Smart really better than Mark Rick? I, I don't. I, I mean, like, we're talking about, okay, and, and people hear me out, okay? Mark Rick won 10 games a year for 15 years. That's what his average was. He took them to places that, yeah, I mean, they didn't win a national title, but neither is Kirby Smart. So it's like, okay, are they really in better shape? I don't know if they really are in better shape. Yeah, I mean, they've done better in recruiting, but that really hasn't paid off. And so you go year by year, year by year, there's one single moment that just kind of gets Kirby Smart beat. And I think it's the same thing when you talk about mismanaging. I mean, look at how would you like to know? Okay, Jalen Hurts is less of a quarterback than Tua Tagovailoa, is that fair? I mean, I mean, I, I know Jalen's playing in the playoffs and all that good stuff, but when you compare quarterback skill set, Tua Tagovailoa leaves Jalen Hurts in the dark. He just he does everything better than Jalen, other than running the football. Okay, sure. Jalen has that one characteristic. Okay, uh, so think about if, if you're Georgia and you chose Jake Fromm over Justin Fields. Well, Think about that for a minute. Real quick on Justin that. Field. Go ahead. No, no, no. I was going to say, because I did touch on this a little bit earlier in the show. Like, I don't – like, it's a great narrative. It's a great narrative. Well, Georgia just picked the wrong quarterback, and they did pick the wrong quarterback. But I don't think that Kirby Smart would have put him in position to succeed the way that Ryan Day has done at Ohio State. So I think both things can be true as ter- in terms of Justin Fields. I think both things can be true, is that Georgia really wishes that they had him, but I don't know that their offense would look like Ohio State's offense or LSU's offense or Auburn's offense or whoever, pick a dynamic offense, if Justin Fields was there, if that makes sense. And, and, and maybe that's fair. Maybe that's fair. I mean, I mean we're, we're going we're gonna to see. Uh, you know, we're, we're going to see what these quarterbacks are, are really made about. And... Uh, you know, this is going to be something that we're going to observe really, really close. And, you know, it's going to be one of those that, you know, we're going to look at it. And we're going to go, okay, okay, okay. Um, and, but, but I mean, right now, I mean, Jake Fromm has like, like he's not a playmaker. And I know he doesn't have the wide receivers. I get all that. I get all that. But I also look at it and I say, ooh, ooh, you know, I, I mean, Jake Fromm is not a guy that, scares me and he didn't scare me then I, I thought he was more of what they call quote game manager quarterbacks and and and, and I, that's what I see right now with him yeah well no and and that's kind of why I want to bring you on to talk about Kirby specifically because first off I, I did mention the numbers off the top in Mark Rick's last four seasons at Georgia he was 39 and 13 uh Kirby Smart is currently 43-12 and 12 in his four seasons. So basically, he has one fewer win, three more, or one fewer loss, three more victories, four more victories, excuse me. He does have three SEC East titles, and he does have, obviously, one SEC title, and Mark Rick didn't. But first of all, it was three years ago. They were supposed to build on that. They haven't. And then on top of that, I would also add that, um, you know, Mark Rick 
the 2012 season, which you remember correctly, Alabama, I mentioned it earlier, beats Georgia, last play of the game, goes to the BCS National Championship, crushes Notre Dame. If there was a 14 playoff that year, Georgia might get into the playoff and win it that year. And so to simply say, well, he Kirby Smart made a playoff and he's done this and it's not really fair. Like, And by the way, I would add, I don't even know that Georgia fans are trying to make that argument. Georgia fans are down right now. Like, I, I retweet, I, you know, I tweeted that thing out, Ryan. You saw it. You shared it with your audience. I haven't had a lot of Georgia fans coming at me defending Kirby Smart. So I'm just bringing all this up to say, like, dude, I, I just feel like I'm not going after him for the sake of going after him. But my goodness, man, is like you look at the situation right now with Kirby Smart, with Georgia, and it's what I said put aside Justin Fields or this or that or the other thing, I don't think that they're closer to a national championship today than the day that he was introduced as a head coach. As a matter of fact, I think they might be further because LSU has all of a sudden emerged in the SEC. Uh, Florida, I think, is coming. I know that he's had Dan Mullen's number for whatever reason, but but Florida is only going to get better. I don't think they're closer today than they were uh, four years ago when he was introduced as the head coach. Well, I don't either. Sure. I don't either. <clears throat> I, I just I don't think that that they're, and I don't know if their success to me. I don't think it's sustainable. And why don't you think it's sustainable? That's actually kind of interesting. I just I, I just don't think it's 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 a program because it, it's built on like look at the SEC East. That's a very winnable division. Like I, I don't like Dan Mullen is a better coach than Kirby Smart. Agreed. He he's a better coach. Well, I mean, so is Dan Mullen going to sit there in the dark? No, no. I, I think that's the the issue. I, I just think that there, there's teams that are going to do bigger things, uh, and it's going to get them in trouble. Let me ask you a question. We're now through two years of the Jeremy Pruitt era. Would you argue? And this is just a question. I hadn't really thought of it till we're talking about this right now. I think you could legitimately argue that Jeremy Pruitt getting Tennessee from winless in the SEC to 7-5 and in a bowl game in two years is more impressive than Kirby Smart taking an, a team that had already won nine games before he got there and whatever it was, year two, uh, going to the college football playoff. Is that crazy? Like, I, I think you can legitimately make an argument that what Jeremy, and I'm not saying Jeremy Pruitt will eventually catch Kirby Smart, and Kirby Smart is, it's all over, and he's going to go 6-6 six and six next year and get fired. I'm just saying that if you think about what he inherited, he inherited a nine-win program, and in year two, they were playing for the national championship. I'm not saying I believe it. I think you can make the argument that Jeremy Pruitt taking over a three and nine team that was winless in the SEC to seven and five in two years is as impressive as what Kirby Smart's done. I, I, I guess we could. Yeah, I mean, I think we should. You could probably make that case. You, you could probably make that case that that, that, that there's a um, that that's a possibility. I'm just saying, I'm just saying the point I'm, I guess I'm trying to make is I'm not trying to say like Jeremy Pruitt's a better coach. I'm just saying that the division has improved. I put it out there on Twitter the other day, but Kentucky is recruiting at an elite level. Joey Gatewood just committed to them. They got more, you know, four or five star recruits than they've ever had. Tennessee has gone from three and nine two years ago under Butch Jones to seven and five this year under Jeremy Pruitt. I think they won six out of the last seven games or something like that. Um, uh, and, and Florida, we already talked about Dan Mullen. So I, I wasn't really trying to say like 
give me an answer, is what Jeremy Pruitt did more impressive? As much as I'm trying to say, like that division is a lot tougher than it was three years ago, and that kind of plays into the conversation about where Georgia is right now, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I no, I think that is that, that's fair, but it, but it's just it, it's when you look at at Georgia, I just don't know. Like, let, let's just look at college football in general. Sure. Okay. Offensively driven right now. Yes. You got to be able to score points. Kirby Smart is a defensive minded guy. Nick Saban is a defensive minded guy, but Nick Saban's got a resume. Uh, he can go out and. And, you know, look at their offensive side of the football. I mean, if, if Georgia doesn't make moves on that coordinator spot, like yep. Sark did some really good things here this year with Tua. Agreed. Um, he, he was limited with some some areas, I thought, of offensive line, uh, depth at running back. I mean, I mean, see, that's the stuff that people don't discuss outside of Tuscaloosa is Alabama went through the season with two running backs. Two running backs. Two running backs. I mean, that's hard to do, but you've got to be able to manage that. And, and, and I think when you look at, you know, when you look at Alabama and you look at Nick Saban, you look at, uh, you know, the conversation there, uh, I, I think that's the, that's the part of the stuff that, that you just, you, you, you begin to kind of closely examine. And I look at Kirby Smart. I just don't see that over there. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it, plus it's Nick Saban's system. Yep. And I don't know if he's been able to put his own identity on that program. Now, people over in Georgia will tell you right the opposite. But, see, they needed somebody. And I'm going to go ahead and make this the national narrative. If, if LSU wins this thing, that will be the new guy in town. That will be the new guy in town. That will be the guy that they try to stage up against Nick Sage. That he's doing this, he's doing this. Uh We'll see if it's true or not. Like I said, I mean, it, it's one year. Let's, let's see if it happens. Um, now, if Dabo wins it, woo! Yep. I mean, can, can, can you imagine the, the narrative there? There's a new sheriff in town, and his name is Dabo. Yeah, and I think there's a legitimate argument um, that – I think there's just a legitimate chance that they win it. I, I don't really like the way that Ohio State's trending, and uh, we'll see with LSU. Real quick, last question, I'll let you go. Um, Lane Kiffin. He's another guy that you saw up close and in person in Tuscaloosa. Uh, as we record here on Sunday night, he is now in the SEC West, Old Miss, all that stuff. You take this wherever you want, Ryan. You talk about recruiting. You talk about his personality. You talk about his offensive scheme. You talk about whatever. What When I say Lane Kiffin at Old Miss, you spent three years around him as uh, Alabama's offensive coordinator, what do you think? Offensive genius. But a guy that likes to have fun off the field. Sure. I mean, that's. I mean, you, you got to call it the way you see it. Um, I like the guy as a play caller. I've watched him take at certain positions, not elite talent, and to be able to get Alabama into a competitive. Uh, uh, you know, I saw him win an actual title, and he had Derrick Henry and Jacob Coker. Jacob Coker, there's nothing against Jacob Coker. Jacob Coker did what he had to do. He won a national title. It's more than I'll ever win. Okay, I just, you know, I mean, it, it, he was a great quarterback. But we saw Jacob Coker last little, if none at all, uh, at the next level. And, and, I mean, he got like, like you know, people talking about a taste of coffee. I mean, he, he might have got a drop of coffee. I mean, he was cut before the first preseason game. That's well, funny. that was a national champion winning quarterback. 
he went to Arizona. He did. I mean, it was it was brief. Um, and, and Jacob Coker is a good guy. He grew up wanting to play for Alabama, but but it's taken the strength of Jacob Coker, taken the strength of Blake Tim, and saying, okay, hey, you can do what you can do. Let me design offense around that. That's what he did. That that's what I think about when I think about Lane Kiffin. I think about a guy that is an offensive genius that literally takes his team and sets it up and says, hey, I'm going to use these guys' strengths. You know, Aaron Torres is not good talking about hockey. I'm not going to force Torres to talk about hockey. Ryan's not great at talking basketball. I'm not going to make Ryan talk about basketball. But what he is good is he's talking about football. Okay, then let's do a four-out. So he takes the strengths. He maximizes the strengths and disguises the weakness. That's what I think about when I think about Lane Kiffin. That's what a good coach does. All right, Ryan Fowler, uh, you can hear him every day, 2 to 6 Central time in Tuscaloosa, the game 100.9, uh, tied, tied 100.9 in Tuscaloosa. Ryan, anything else kind of in the college football scene uh, that we haven't hit on that you want to? I mean, you've covered the SEC for a long time now. I just want you to – this is your forum, whatever you want to talk about. Anything else that we haven't talked about? Well, I mean, you and I were talking about this earlier. You know, as much as good things is happening in the SEC, there's a lot of bad things. And, uh, you know, Arkansas not hiring a good coach. I think his name is Sam Pittman. I mean, you and I uh, looked at that going, really? Really? Uh, it just – there's a, there's a lot of great things that, that happen, but then there's, there's things that you're like, okay uh, – but it's just it's the direction of college football. This is an off season topic, but the one thing about college football is is this going to be a continuation of you know scoring sixty and playing no defense is going to win a national title? Because that's that's I'm going to be really curious to see who wins this thing, and are we going to be facing a new direction in college football? That is a huge question, and I, I think it's I've watched this league adjust to that in the last. Five to no three to five years. Sure, and it just to me, twenty nineteen was like, and we we saw it here in Tuscaloosa. We we saw more focus on the offensive side of the football, and I'm going to be curious if that continues in this national championship because LSU plays with very little defense. Oklahoma's got the weakest defense in this college football playoffs, but LSU's not far ahead of them. And you look at Ohio State. Does balanced football still win a championship? Because Clemson and Ohio State are more balanced than LSU and Oklahoma. That's something that I'm going to be watching because, you know, we're copycat college football. What they do is what we do. Sure. And when they win, we adjust. And I'm, I'm not talking about Alabama. I'm just talking about everybody. Sure. We're going to see if that is a continuation in college football and more people are going to adapt to that style of the game. All right, very good. Ryan Fowler, you can hear him on Tide 100.9, the game, 2-6 to six Eastern. Uh, Ryan, I'm sure we will talk at some point here in the near future, whether it is Bama, whether it is college football. But I always appreciate the time, my man. I appreciate you doing this. Uh, it was fun, and we will do it again soon, brother. Merry Christmas to you and your audience, man. I hope you guys have an enjoyable rest of the month, and let's talk very, very soon. All right, so a big thank you to Ryan Fowler. He is my guy. I hope you guys enjoy that as much as I do. He is an incredible radio host. As I said, he, he has hosted radio in Tuscaloosa for really um, 
about 20 years now. He's not very old either. He's probably in his early 40s, late 30s, something like that. But he is very much plugged into the not only the Alabama beat, but the SEC beat, the the everything that goes on around the Alabama program and around the SEC. I thought he had some good insight on Ed Orgeron. I thought he had some good insight on Kirby Smart. And I appreciate him making the time. All right, before we wrap, uh, I, I would be remiss if I didn't do some college hoops. As I've said many times, I know that most of this audience loves college hoops, eats, sleeps, breathes college hoops. The problem is that with so much college football this weekend, I didn't feel like there were some big story, you know, big, juicy, meaty storylines to talk about from college hoops. Now, a couple good things is one, first of all, all the big teams played, so that was awesome. And two, we're now at the point where we're going full speed ahead with college hoops. I, I mentioned it off the top. I should mention it again. We're going to have some really good guests here over the next couple of shows. So make sure that if you're not subscribed already that you are. But we're going full speed ahead on college hoops. This felt like the last real weekend where there's not going to be a ton of storylines. Keep in mind, this coming weekend, we'll have Memphis, Tennessee to talk about. The following weekend, the CBS Sports Classic, which again... I will be there. We're going to have a lot of fun for those of you who will be there, and we'll obviously recap that following Monday. So there's plenty to get into in college hoops. I don't feel like there was a ton from this weekend. There was one topic I want to get to, and then we will get, of course, to the mailbag that was promised. And, of course, if you have questions, make sure you send them Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Send your stuff in and we will kind of talk about it. I, I will do these mailbags every so often. Uh, before we get to the mailbag, though, there is one topic that I want to hit, and that is the Gonzaga Bulldogs, who just, as I'm recording, beat Washington at Washington, final score 83-76. And what was incredible about watching Gonzaga, and what was incredible about watching them not only on Sunday night, but also in the Battle for Atlantis, if you didn't see the Battle for Atlantis, they beat Oregon in the semifinal, they lost to Michigan in the final. This program's unbelievable. And listen, I get it. If you're not a Gonzaga fan, you want to be critical of the program. They don't play in the best conference. They don't play, once we get to January and we get out of the out-of-conference portion of the slate, they don't play the best teams. And we're going to find out over the next couple days if they're as good as I think they are because not only did they play Washington on Sunday night, they also go to Arizona later this week and they play North Carolina next weekend. So the next eight days, they play at Washington, at Arizona, North Carolina at home. And so if they're not as good as I think they are, then we're going to find out really quick. But I just want to give this program a little bit of credit because I think we kind of take for granted how good they are every single year. I think we take for granted the fact that, oh, by the way, this is a small Catholic school in the Pacific Northwest, small town, Spokane, Washington. This isn't Chapel Hill, North Carolina. This isn't Lexington, Kentucky. This isn't Louisville, Kentucky. They're not supposed to be this good, especially after a season in which they lost two first-round NBA draft picks, Rui Hachimura, who went to the Wizards, Brandon Clark, who went to the Grizzlies. Both of those guys are playing big minutes, by the way. They lost a fifth-year senior in Josh Perkins, and they also lost Zach Norvell, who was in the Lakers organization. So they lost three guys who are currently playing in the NBA, and a fourth guy who's a fifth-year senior, and they haven't missed a beat. And I think it's so easy to criticize them because of the schedule and who they play and should they have gotten this seating and this, that. The other thing, let's just accept that this is an incredible program. This is a program that recruits at an incredible level. They're doing it mostly through the international kids. 
Uh, Rui Hachimura, for those of you who remember, was from Japan originally. They have two kids from France on this team who are really good. Killian Tilly is probably the name you remember. He was their best player two years ago, was really banged up last season. Um, and they brought in this new kid. His name's Joel Ayayi, who's incredible, who's also from France, who redshirted a season ago. And this guy has been huge the last couple games. He has come out of nowhere, and he's just the latest guy within this program to develop into a real star. And so, listen, I don't have the answers. I can't sit here and tell you that they're definitively as good as I think or definitively underrated or overrated. They're going to go to the Sweet 16 or the Elite Eight or back to the Final Four. All I know is that this is a program that should not, I repeat, they should not be this good after losing three guys to the NBA, a fifth-year senior at point guard, yet they've continued to have that success. I just want to give them a quick shout-out before I got to the mailbag because I do think, like, we need to give this team a little bit of credit. All right, so let's get to the mailbag, and I just have a couple questions. It's nothing, like, super big. I only want to spend a few minutes on it because, again, it was kind of one of those weird weekends in college basketball where there weren't really those games where you circled around the TV and you called your buddies and you got some beers. You know, we got Kentucky Louisville coming up. We got Kentucky Ohio State coming up. We got Gonzaga and UNC. We got Tennessee and Memphis next weekend. So we got a lot of good games coming up. But I did want to get to a couple mailbag questions. I've had these in here for a while. Again, if you want to send your questions, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com if you want me to weigh in. And let's start with Mike in Kentucky. He says, Aaron, AT, love the show. Is Louisville the definitive number one team in the country after beating Michigan last week? It's funny you mention that, Mike, because I actually will release my top 25 on Monday morning. By the time you guys listen to this show, it will be available on the Aaron Torres Pod Instagram page. I actually don't have Louisville at number one, and that's no disrespect. This isn't like a, oh, Torres hates Louisville, screw Like, no. I have Ohio State at number one for the simple fact that they now have, I would argue, the best pair of wins in college basketball. Duke might actually have a better pair with a win against Kansas and against Michigan State on on the road. But when you talk about Ohio State going to North Carolina and winning by 25 and going to play Villanova in your home gym and beating them by 25, they beat Villanova and North Carolina by 25 points apiece this season. And I know Ohio State isn't the traditional big brand, but they have three or four guards, as I said on the last show, that are really good. Dwayne Washington, DJ Carton, CJ Walker. They got all these guys that can beat you off the dribble, that can create offense. They play real defense. They have real bulk down low with um, with Caleb Wesson. And so I actually have Ohio State at number one. It's no disrespect to Louisville. I will have Louisville at number two. But to answer, answer Mike's question, I do not have um, I do not have Louisville at number one coming into the year. Next question, Rich. Rich chimes in. He says, "At who are some under the radar teams that could potentially make a run in March?" All right. So I'm gonna when I when we go under the radar, I'm not gonna go with like the fourth best team in the SEC or the fifth best team in the Big Twelve or whatever. I'll give you three from non-power conferences that I like. One is Gonzaga. I don't even know if they're under the radar. They're in the top 10, whatever. I already talked about them. Two is Dayton. I already talked about Dayton a few weeks ago after they went to Maui and almost beat Kansas. That is a team 
they are a legit top 10 team in the country right now. I think they're one of the 10 best teams I've seen in college basketball. Obi Toppin, the kid is unbelievable. I think he could end up being a legitimate number one overall pick candidate in this draft class, which is kind of weak. Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, we're kind of feeling them out. Is it Cole Anthony? Is it LaMelo Ball? I don't know. I'm just saying I think Obi Toppin can get in the mix. Obi Toppin can get in the mix, and they have a lot of shooting and a lot of athleticism around them, around him, excuse me. They actually played St. Mary's on Sunday. They crushed St. Mary's. And you could see the difference between the size, the athleticism, the skill. I mean, if you just took off Dayton's jerseys and you didn't know they were in the A-10, you would think they were a Big Ten, ACC, SEC type school. The third team. That's the one I want you to keep your eyes on, guys. San Diego State. So, it's crazy, right? As like part of my job, I'm always talking to people. I'm always on the phone. I'm always picking people's brains, this and that. In the last week, I have had two separate coaches from two different programs who don't even know each other, but have both played San Diego State tell me, dude, Torres, San Diego State is legit, okay? Like, like one of them said, I think they're legit one of the 10 best teams in the country. Another one said, I think they can legit make a run to the Final Four, his exact quote was, don't quote me on that, unless I'm correct, then quote me on it. But he said that he believed that they could make the Final Four. If you haven't seen them, they have, first of all, the thing that stands out, they are huge. So they have two big guys down low that kind of play well off of each other. Uh, One is named Nathan Mensah, kind of traditional seven-foot rim protector, shot blocker, but he's big and strong. They got this other kid, Yanni Wetzel, who played at Vanderbilt last year. I don't remember him at all. But this dude, I don't know if he's just been doing push-ups on the beach or doing beach sprints like Rocky or something. But, like, dude, this guy is yoked. He plays hard. He's impossible to move. And I'm just telling you, he is big. He is strong. And up front, they are a low. There are not many teams, I don't care, power conference, non-power conference, that can match up with them down low. They also have a guard named Malachi Flynn who played at Washington State, transferred from the Pac-12. But he averaged 16 a game in the Pac-12. And they have maybe their best player is a kid named Matt Mitchell, who actually was a starter last year. He's now their sixth man. But I'm telling you, man, if you have not seen them, when you get a chance, watch them. They struggled on Sunday in a conference game, but I promise you, they are better than you realize, and I absolutely think they can make a run here. All right, two quick questions to wrap up. Uh, Another Rich, got a lot of Riches that listen to this show. Rich says, AT, love the show. Is Arkansas an NCAA tournament team? All right, so, um, you know, we got a lot of Arkansas fans that listen to this show. Obviously, listen, everyone knows my relationship with Eric Musselman. I don't think it's that big of a deal. He's just been on the show a bunch of times. But I do think what he has done with that program is really impressive. Now, they did lose on Saturday in overtime to Western Kentucky, but they've taken care of business against everybody else. And I just think that if you look at the rest of their out-of-conference schedule, outside of a game at Indiana, everything else is manageable. And the one thing about Eric Musselman, and obviously, look, Arkansas fans are still getting to know him. SEC fans are still getting to know him. Um, It's that his teams are always prepared to play every single night. They might not beat everybody. They might not beat the teams that are better than them. But they almost always take care of the teams that they're supposed to. And so why do I bring it up? It's because as I look at the SEC, the SEC is a lot more separated between good and bad than I thought it would be this year. At the top of the league, listen, Auburn's really good, Kentucky's really good, Tennessee's really good. 
I think LSU will get there. I think Mississippi State will get there. But Florida is not as good as I thought they were. Ole Miss is not as good as I thought they were. Georgia, not as good as most people thought they were. Alabama, certainly not as good as we thought they were. They're 4-4 four and four overall. Texas A&M is terrible. Vanderbilt, I don't trust. Missouri is terrible. They just lost to Charleston Southern. South Carolina is terrible. I bring that up because there are more wins to get in this league than I thought there would be in the preseason. So I bring it up because of the fact that I believe that, yes, Arkansas is going to take care of the teams that they're supposed to. They're already 8-1. and one. They have three more out-of-conference games. I think they get to league play at 10-2. and two. I think they win enough league games to make the NCAA tournament, maybe one of the last four in, maybe a 10 seed, maybe an 11 seed. I think they do enough to get in because, again, there's a lot of Texas A&Ms, there's a lot of South Carolinas, there's a lot of Missouris who aren't as good as we thought they are. Final question, Charles, another Kentucky-related question. So we obviously had Mike who asked about Louisville. Charles says, AT, is there anything to make of Kentucky? What do you think? Basically what Charles is saying, I'm kind of skimming his email as I'm reading this, but basically what Charles is saying is like, dude, Kentucky looked awesome against Michigan State, and they really, we haven't had a chance to see them against elite competition since then. What I would say about Kentucky is I'm actually higher on them right now than most people. And listen, we're going to get a feel for just how good this team is over the next two weeks, between two weeks from when I'm recording now until two weeks. They will play Georgia Tech, they will play Utah on a neutral, and they will play Ohio State on a neutral. And so we will find out in the next two weeks just how good Kentucky is. But I actually am higher on this team than most. I know everyone wants to focus on the Evansville loss, but I think what you have to remember with the Evansville game is the fact that Kentucky was down a lot of guys. E.J. Montgomery didn't play. Ashton Hagens was not at 100%. Um, they've had all sorts of injuries all year, and I think now that everybody's healthy, basically since they've gotten everybody back in the lineup, they've been awesome. And I think the X factor for Kentucky is that E.J. Montgomery is finally, 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 finally starting to look like the guy that we thought he was going to be. He had 25 the other day against uh, Fairleigh Dickinson, he had 16 against UAB right after Thanksgiving. They need that guy to be an all-SEC kind of guy. I don't think he'll be P.J. Washington 2.0, but if he can be like 16 and 8 every night, completely changes the complexion of this team. But again, we are going to find out a lot more about this team in the next two weeks. All right. I think that's it for today's Aerator Sports Podcast. Busy show, as always. I want to thank Ryan Fowler. It was a lot of fun. I want to thank you guys for listening to the football talk to, to start the show. And if you're here for the basketball talk, I can tell you right now, we're going full speed ahead on basketball basically from here until April and beyond. We obviously have a couple great games this week, Louisville-Texas Tech, my UConn Huskies against Indiana. So we're going to have plenty to talk about. But if you like the college hoops, now is the time to get into the show. I should remind you, if you're not subscribed, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Do it on iTunes, Podcast Addict, Podbean, TuneIn Radio, Spotify, wherever you listen to shows, you can do it. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. If you have questions, we're going to do one of these mailbags again here in the future. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Finally, I will have details on Vegas for you 
by the end of the next show. We should, if everything goes to plan, have a pretty big guest for the next show. Nothing is confirmed yet, but I think we're going to have a really fun guest that I do think you guys are all going to enjoy. So that is all for today's show. I want to thank you guys for listening. Shout out to my boy, Torrent Craig. And again, if you're going to be in Vegas, let me know. I will have details. That is all. I will speak to you guys later this week.